Social Strategy Podcast, episode 78. Hey guys, three names, Podbean, Telestream for ScreenFlow, and Warby Parker, the glasses that I wear. Check them out, they're in the show notes. Welcome to the Social Strategy Podcast, where it's all about making the most of your business with smart tips on what's working now in social media, online business, and good old-fashioned networking. And now your host, who's also known as Ross PR on Twitter, Vernon Ross. Hey everyone, this is Vernon Ross and welcome to the Social Strategy Podcast, bringing you the best in online business, social media, and good old-fashioned networking. It's day, guys. We've got a startup guy, we've got a founder, creator of a company. I haven't done that before. It's um, been something that I wanted to do, wanted to talk to a company that was really doing something different. Now, if I told you that there was a product out there, there was a company that could actually read the internet and then tell you as a business owner what people were thinking and how they were feeling about exactly what was going on on your website and in the comments, you would probably go, wait, no, that's, that's like science fiction. Nobody's doing that. Well, I got a surprise for you. My buddy Nick is doing that with his company. His company is named Swizzle. It's right here in St. Louis. He is the chief operating officer, and I believe you're the founder of Swizzle, right? Yes, sir. So um, it's real. Buck Rogers is here. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks for having me. It's real. Science fiction is real. Science fiction is real. That's what I thought when you when I first heard about what you guys did. Tell tell me just a little bit about where does that even come from? To be honest with you, that's kind of what I thought when uh when my CTO <laughs> came to me with this idea. Um my company uh, we were I, I actually founded the company in Korea. And we were uh, working with a lot of big entertainment companies out in East and Southeast Asia. And, you know, they all basically had this problem where they had a ton of text. Um, that was their big, like, black hole as far as their decision-making process because they were used to making decisions based on, based on data. That's how these, you know, new media entertainment companies were born. And their comment streams and, you know, their actual text and content and everything around it was just not not something that they were able to actually look into and make a smart decision because they weren't able to read it all. You know, they could get numbers on it, like engagements and stuff like that, but they couldn't do anything else. Um, so they approached us with that problem, and my CTO and our data scientist basically came to us and were like, well, we could actually make something that, that reads it all, understands it all, and then tells you what you need to know out of that. It, would, would that be useful? <laughs> it's just like yeah, yeah yeah that that would be incredibly useful let's let's do that like would so. that be possible <laughs> right right i still have skype calls when i'm i'm sitting down with them i was like do you guys have any idea what you've made um so yeah that's uh that's how we got our start um that was our big pivot uh actually shortly after i got here in st louis we we had that pivot mm-hmm. and then since then we've been you know, picked up by uh, IBM Watson, partnered with us as one of the top 12 companies to spearhead their Asian expansion. And we've been able to add uh, Watson's capabilities to our own, which has kind of increased our, our right. abilities in English and all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah, now you just got back from a trip from over there, right? I did, yeah. Uh, IBM flew me out to Singapore to actually talk. They do a uh, an annual um, meeting for Asia-Pacific analysts where they tell them about, like, you know, things that are going on and what they should know and all that sort of stuff. And we were the very first startup they've ever invited out to there. Wow. Uh, we were the only startup that was out there. Like I was sitting, we did a panel discussion and 
to the left of me was like India's largest bank. And to the right of me was the largest financial institution for uh, Australia. And I'm sitting here in the middle, like ask, <laughs> answer questions. And they were both like looking at me like, whoa. <laughs> That's like, awesome. yeah, yeah, that I felt pretty awesome. cool. I'm not going to lie. Right. So. <laughs> Check that one off. <laughs> right. Right. Big company flies you over to Singapore, puts you up in a nice hotel and you get the rub shoulders with the big boys. So it was, right. it was pretty cool. No, that's awesome, man. So take me back a little bit in time. How did you get over to South Korea to begin with? Sure. My, uh, it was actually because of my wife. So my wife and I were in D.C. Um, I was doing uh, marketing and real estate. I had a marketing company, and, and uh, I was helping some uh, uh, real estate investors and stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. purchase property and find property and manage and all that. Um, we were doing really really well like i set up a whole team everything was going great and then my wife is a geopolitical analyst and she got a job offer in korea and that's like heaven for people who do what she does and uh so it it actually wasn't that hard of a decision to stop my business and mm-hmm. go out to korea um and then i was out there i actually thought i was going to be I thought i was going to take a year off because i did well the year before and uh it's i was going to like you know see Asia, be a house husband. Like it was going to be awesome. And that lasted about three months before I started just getting itchy. I found a period where I I realized that I spent the last two weeks inside of my apartment on my computer, researching real estate talents across the United States and emailing people and trying to like, just trying to work. So I went out and, uh, started helping some local businesses out there because there's a huge startup scene and startups were something that I never did before. You know, mm-hmm. everything else that I did was kind of built off of my own back and, and more traditional business. Right. Um, and then, you know, started just helping different startups and kind of getting into that scene because it was interesting. Um, and then met the guys that we created Swizzle with and just clicked. That's interesting. So, you know, I always think with startups, the, um, the way that you're able to build so quickly and usually when a startup is successful the founder has other experiences that they draw on Mm -hmm. and things that build your character as far as how you run your startup what you do uh, the decisions that you make how did you get into the whole real estate investing and working on marketing with that take us back a little bit further sure so i'll take you all the way back to high school um i was Ever since I was like, I don't know, 10 or something, I was going to be a vet. Like that was – I was going to be a <laughs> – there was a, a vet saved my dog's life. I mean it was a terrible story. I was young and, and my dog got hit by a car and caught between the wheel and the wheel well of the car. Oh, no. Drug for like a mile. And you know, I called him and he didn't come and I went on the street and I saw like blood and I, I just like picked him up. You know, this dog's bigger than me but – uh, it was it was a moment for me. Like I'm drenched in blood. I got home, you know. Parents saw it. We rushed out to the vet, and I saw a vet save my dog's life. So I was like, "Wow, oh, that's what I'm gonna be for life." You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I was not one of those kids that you know. Some kids, you know, oh, I'm gonna be a fighter pilot or an astronaut. Or like, I was focused, <laughs> singularly focused. Right. Um, and then in high school, um, I started working as a vet tech at a, a, a local vet clinic. And I kind of rose up through the ranks and actually started running the clinic. Um, and yeah, and at the same time, a buddy of mine had a, uh, he had a, a, a little web, like he did like freelance web design. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I I saw what he was doing, and I was always good at talking to people. And you know, I was like, well, I'll I'll help you with their web design. Maybe we can kind of team up, and I can talk to people, and and because I'm good at talking to people. Right. And uh, I really enjoyed that. We grew that company like beyond where my partner was actually comfortable with. Like we were we were <laughs> we were doing well. Um, and then at the same time, I'm doing this vet clinic, and there was a there's a point where a dog came in, and he had. Like it, it was, it was something that we've seen a billion times before. He was sick, but I knew exactly what it was. I knew how to fix it, and I didn't care. And that was kind of eye-opening to me because you know I always told people that the second you don't care, that's when you need the change because it's just, you know being a vet. Right. That whole thing is a hard work. So I sat down and I sat with my my fiance now my wife. Um, was talking to her about you know what I liked at the vet clinic, and you know this is a big moment for me. And uh, I realized I enjoyed running it more. I like doing the business side. I like doing, yeah. you know, for the other company. I liked running that company. And so I, uh, I switched. Like mid college, I switched up to to business and marketing, and I, I got my degree in, in marketing and international business from Mumsel. Um, I, you know, started doing like sales and things like that. And then mm-hmm. uh, my wife got an opportunity to go out to DC. I brought that, uh, you know, that web design company kind of grew up to be an online marketing company and all sorts of things. And, you know, I took that over to D.C. as well. And uh, when I was out there, I started getting into real estate because my mother was into real estate. Um, yeah. And that uh, kind of just took the same aspects I learned from doing sales and running sales teams over on this side to over there. Quickly rose up and became known out there. And then uh, you heard the rest of the story going to Korea. <laughs> right. That's awesome, man. It's an interesting background because I think um, you figured out early on you were a founder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you, need, you needed to you needed to run stuff, and it's a roundabout way to get there. But I, I often find that with people in the startup community that they figure out at some point in time, sometimes that they should be running a company or driving ideas forward and driving innovation and not just sitting and doing a thing for you know another company. Right. For the rest of their lives. How do you, um, what kind of advice would you give for someone that's thinking about a startup? Because, of course, you know, startup is a buzzword right now, and everybody's like, oh, you know, I'm going to, you know, go launch a startup, and they have no idea what to do. Most startups do not know business basics. Um, most startups don't know how to make a business plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the stuff out here, you do accelerator programs and incubators and stuff like that. It's all basically just teaching you how to, how, you know, just foundations. Um, I think spending, I, I guess the biggest advice that I would give to people would be that, yeah, the the reason you become successful or not is simply whether you're willing to do the, the crap part of a job, like in any job. Mm-hmm. And that that's includes when you're when you're being a founder. And the crap part of doing a job is is the planning and the figuring things out and the crunching the numbers and sitting at your desk and you know doing all that like thinking process. That's not sexy and fun. Right. Yeah, you know, it's the we we all get into these things because we have a cool idea and we have something that's sexy and fun and that's fun to think about. But but there's a real business behind it that if you can't manage that, you're not going to succeed. And that's I think probably the biggest reason why I see most. Uh, startups across the world fails because they didn't they didn't focus on their business basics. Now, when you start talking about 
you know, focusing on your business basics. One of the things with a startup, of course, is you put all this work into it. You, you do all this stuff for months and months and months or even a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then a company like IBM is interested in what you're doing. How do you continue to be Swizzle and not lose your identity by partnering with IBM? Well, I think, I think it goes down to actually why you started the company. Um, I think most people in the startup world that run into that problem run into that problem because they created a solution and they didn't know what the problem was. Mm. They had some cool technology and they didn't, and they were like, "Oh, let's build this, and then we'll figure out who needs it." Um, and that, that's kind of a you know backwards way of going about things, and you don't it. It, it runs into problems where you're trying to find a place to fit it, and so you're changing who you are. Yeah. Whereas the other way, when you find a problem, you know your industry, and then you put some smart people on it, and you try to figure out a way to fix that problem. You know, we we don't run into a, an identity issue. IBM mm-hmm. is interested in us because we're solving a problem. You right. know what I mean? And and they're not going to change how we're solving the problem because we we found the solution to it. So they're they're just added value. Um, so I, I, I think no, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good answer to that because I, I was talking to, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of his company. I met him down at uh, Venture Cafe, and uh, for you guys that don't know, Venture Cafe is a local thing with uh, Cambridge Innovation Institute here in St. Louis. They have a location, and he's a some type of social network. I just can't remember the name of it. It escapes me right now. We only talked about it briefly, but he was talking about the whole thing of being bought out or partnering with a company and being afraid to grow too quickly because he thought that his company might lose its identity. The only, the problem was he's almost exactly what you said is that start started this company, started this social network. And I don't think he was solving a problem. I think he was like creating a, a solution for something that maybe didn't exist and then trying to find an audience for it. Right. Which is, it's always hard to go search for an audience after the fact. Right. Yeah, if you can tailor something to an audience, <laughs> you're usually going to be winning. Oh, yeah, especially because if you're, if you're solving a problem for an audience, you, chances are you have a, a string of people who are waiting for it, like literally that, you're, that you've talked to and you're like, all right, give me six months. Right. And then it's, it's easier to go to market when you're like, give me six months and then come back to the same people versus, yeah, exactly. all right, I created something cool. Who needs it? <laughs> like, <laughs> like from a marketing standpoint, that's, uh, uh, that's, that's hell. Yeah, build, so. it, build it and they will come. Yeah. They, they won't. No. <laughs> not you. Not at all. No, no, not at all. Field of dreams, yeah. This, this is not a dream. <laughs> no. <laughs> so tell me, tell me why data for influencer marketing sucks. It's an article that you wrote a while back. <laughs> Um, it, it actually goes back to, um, I told you that these entertainment companies were asking us for, for information, uh, and data on their kind of content instead of just the numbers right now, pretty much the, the majority of data that we have for influencer marketing is quantitative. It's easily measured stuff. You know, it's like clicks and, you know, this many people subscribed, this many people viewed, um, that sort of thing. And the issue with that is that one, it's easy to fudge those numbers. Um, you can buy people to click you know, mm-hmm. on a button a bunch of times. You can create bots that do that sort of thing. Um, you can also be really kind of uh, 
eclectic where you, you you basically talk about a bunch of different stuff so it looks like you have really big numbers because you know you have 10 people from this group 10 people from this group 10 people from this group all over the place and so you have 100 million subscribers but none of them are the same people you know what i mean right uh and influencer marketing is really supposed to be about finding somebody who can talk to your audience better than you can mm-hmm. and so relying on just numbers of how many people are working with this person or how many people are viewing it doesn't help you find the person who's really talking to your audience. You really got to dive in deep and, and it's, it's evident, you know, right now the, without using swizzle stuff, the most companies out there, if they're good at influencer marketing, they use the numbers kind of narrow down the field a little bit and then they sit down and they just read, they read comments and they read content and they try to figure out like who is the best person to talk to. Um, and to run their campaigns and try to figure out who's actually talking to their clients better than them. And that's a, that's a manual process because we don't have the data to just point it out. Right. How does, how does Swizzle help figure that out? Well, our, our process basically allows us to read anything, right? So, so we, can, we can read content no matter how big it is and tell you what you need to know. So one application of that is going through um, a bunch of different influencers and going through their comments and going through their content and finding like, you know, narrowing down just the people who are talking to your audience, who are also liked by your audience. And then once you have those kind of sections narrowed down, then we use regular quantifiable data like, you know, views and all that. Because now you can rank them based on who's more popular because you know that these are just talking to your audience. Mm-hmm. So now the most important person in this column is, is legit versus you know, not being able to do that. And you look at who's the most important person in general and, and you're not going to find the, the important people to you. Right. So now when you, when you, when companies are looking for influencers and we kind of talked about this in uh, in our, that ad addicts meeting, which was awesome. Um, what should they look for as far as the type of content that they're, they're trying to latch on to, to promote their product or their service? Perfect World is actually an influencer that already likes your stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're they're out there. Most people just don't know how to, you know, look for them or even take the time to look for them. But I mean, that that's perfect. It's somebody who is talking to your audience, who likes your product or has the potential to like your product. Genuinely, influencers are always about being genuine. Um, but that that other point is is making sure that they're just talking to your target market. So like. You know, let's say you make something, I don't know, specific. I'm blanking on, 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 <laughs> uh, coffee, yeah, coffee cups. right. You make coffee, right. And yeah. you know that your target market, the perfect person for your, like that of your customer is a, a startup guy, right? Somebody who is like young in their company. They get up early in the morning. They probably have a family. Like, you know, they're, they're always super tired and they like drinking this particular cup of coffee because it's born and bred in St. Louis. You know what I mean? We're, we're getting real specific on who this person is, right? Well, now that you have that psychographical like idea of your target market, not just demographics, right? You know who they are. Now look around and find, you know, what YouTuber, what podcaster, what, what blogger are they actually reading? Are they actually going to? Mm-hmm. Um, which one of these influencers are actually talking to them? And ideally, talking to the ones that you don't have contact with. You know, right. if you're if you're trying to reach reach your target market, but new people in your target market, find the ones that 
that are talking to them, just not not the not the same ones that you're you're already reaching. Um, and the way you do that is just going through. You know, you're you search like you're your target market. You look through when you find you know your list of different influencers. You look at the comments and see what people are saying. Mm-hmm. Um, there's you know you look at blogs and make sure that they're really hitting. You know, they're just talking to your target market, not just a random blog that talks about everything. Um, you know, there's that kind of human intuition side that when you look through, you know, you could see a podcaster and listen to it and know whether they're actually talking to the people that are that are relevant to to your target market versus somebody that's talking to everybody. You know, right, right. No, that's 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 interesting. I um because I I'll get approached for different products. I'm like, nah, that it really doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Like casinos are notorious for coming to podcasters and bloggers. It's like, hey, would you put up this link to this gambling thing? No. Oh. <laughs> I, w- I won't because I don't have a gambling site. Right. And that's not my audience. And I quickly wouldn't have an audience if I did. And they don't get it because they're throwing money at you. And it, I'd love to take it, but it's, it's just like, uh, you know, it doesn't really fit. I think right. that's where um, some startups, when they're going after that target audience or – the sales part of it, especially the service-based or product-based startups, they're not really looking at who's already using the product or who do we want to use the product and getting that service or that product in their hands and then recruiting those people. It's like they ignore their current customer base and then they try to go after someone that has a big social reach, not understanding, I think, that the person who doesn't necessarily have a social reach if you approach them, and I think cultivating an influencer is more where companies should start leaning towards, you can teach them the, the social part. It's like, hey, we really in, like the way that you're passionate about our product. How about you go ahead, you get your Twitter account, and you start talking about this. Maybe you'll write an article on Medium if the person doesn't have a blog talking about it. Would you mind doing a YouTube review? We'll send you some more stuff. We'll you know, we'll send you 50 bucks if you do a YouTube review talking about just how you like it and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I don't I don't see a lot of that from companies that are trying to get influencers to do things for them. Yep. Uh, the, there's a couple of good ones that, that do it. But. Yeah, most of them don't most of them don't approach influencers the right way. Right. And like you're saying, just having an honest conversation, going up to one and just being like, look. You love our product and we think that's awesome. And you have a great audience, and we're trying to get ahead of our audience. What can I do to get you to talk about our product more? Like, yeah. nobody has a problem with people being honest. I think the problem is that a lot of brands are still in this mindset that we need to trick our audience into looking at us. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to fool them somehow and get them into the platform. And, and that, was, that was true in the past when you had to get you know, when, when everything was a huge numbers game, right? I had to get as many people as possible so that hopefully the people that would actually be interested in my stuff would come look at it. But we're not doing that anymore. We're, we, we're in an age where you can just talk to the people who would just buy your product. You don't have to fool them anymore. If you have something that's good, then they'll come to it and they'll buy it if right. you can just get your voice in front of them somehow. Yeah, no, absolutely. So bouncing back a little bit to uh, the startup thing, I had John Levesay on the um, couple couple episodes ago, he's a startup funding guy, and he talks about you know how to get funding. He has a a podcast where he teaches companies or teaches potential investors. He lines those up with 
potential companies to invest in sort of through his podcast. It's really interesting the, what, what he talks about and how he does it. What would you recommend or not necessarily what would you recommend? Did you guys bootstrap or did you actually raise capital? How did you go? How did you go about starting? We raised cap. We, I say we did half and half. So we raised a minimal amount of capital to get things going. Mm -hmm. And then we funded ourselves through a lot of different outsourcing projects um, that were meant to basically build our connections with those entertainment companies across East and Southeast Asia. That's, so that's it was kind of, yeah, yeah, it was a, we weren't completely one or another. And I think that that was kind of, uh, kind of shows to the different mindsets of the, the co-founders. You know, there's me who comes from a world of look, make your own money and then reinvest it. Mm -hmm. And then there was my, my co-founder Ian, who was a startup guy, like his entire entrepreneurial experience. And it's like, Hey, let's get a bunch of money and build something cool. So we kind of balanced <laughs> the two. Um, right. and, and yeah, so we also, you know, we raise money over in Asia, which is a totally different environment. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was wondering about that. How is that? Yeah. Uh, it's so one one thing that you realize when you do business in Asia is that here in America we talk about everything's relationships. It's not like it's it's not even remotely <laughs> like it is out in Asia. I mean, in Asia it's relationships. Like you need to you need to like spend time. I, I joke and say that you, you leave half your liver over there when you have to, because there's just so much drinking, so much socializing, so much, you know, dinner. You meet, you know, I, I had one time where I met with a, you know, a, a CEO of this, this big company was really interested in talking to us, right? Really wanted to talk about a couple of different projects he had in mind. And he, he, the conversation literally started with him, you know, being like, hey, I'm interested in you guys. I want to meet Let's go ahead and have dinner. Bring your wife, and uh, you know our families can meet, and we can really converse and talk. And like this is this is not like a weird thing. This is how it's done. You yeah. you make sure that you can connect on that personal level. You're, you know, my wife did more business like meetings than anything <laughs> else. You know, because because you had to, um, and that that's a. That's a that's a different world. So you yeah. really have to build up those relationships, you know. And it's also very difficult to kind of get started over there unless you have those relationships, which is why a lot of foreign companies have a problem doing business over in Asia, is because you know you gotta you gotta know somebody who knows that person. You need to be introduced. Mm -hmm. You know, networking over there is, you know, like you you're talking about venture cafe. We can walk into venture cafe this Thursday. And just approach anybody there, right? Yeah, and just start much. talking to them. Totally fine. In Asia, it's weird if you do that. You really need to have – you need to approach somebody that you know. And they need to walk you over to somebody. You need to be walked around kind of thing. Oh, wow. Um, so it's – it's you know, there's – it's obviously like a big rule of thumb. Like there's ways to break it and all that kind of stuff. But that's that's kind of one of the, the biggest differences between uh, America and and Asia and especially in like the investment world. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I had this weird problem. I was like, well, why don't we just, let's just send the investors, like just, just email them and be like, Hey, we're in your space. You're interested in what we do. This is what we're doing. You want to do an investment? And it's just like, my, my partner was shocked that I would even think that. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, that wouldn't work. I was like, bullshit. Like, I, I sent them anyway. And for sure, like, nobody would ever respond. But the same investor, if we got passed around, then they'd yeah. be like, oh, yeah, I saw your deck earlier. It does sound interesting. Like, then why didn't you call? <laughs> like, what, what are you doing? Like, why right. didn't you respond? 
but it's it's a little different. And that's, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. And like from what I hear out here, and I haven't raised money in the states. Like I've talked to, I talked to uh, Asian investors that are in the states, kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But they're they're Asian, you know what I mean? They're just located here. Um, but from what I hear in the states, it is still a relationship building thing. Like a lot of people make comparisons to, you know, finding investors is uh, to dating and stuff like that. Um, but when I talk to people who did it, it's not nearly the hurdles that 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 you have over there. No, that's so. that's really interesting because I don't think that you know guys here, like you said, they don't run into that where you actually have to get to know the people that are going to invest in your company. And I just know from having a a few friends in Asia that business is you you do it with friends. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a um, it's not just a transaction. It's it's a relationship. You want to make sure you can trust the person on multiple levels before you actually give the money to do something with. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's wild. Interesting. Yeah. How do you think that translates into like the sales process here? How do you think somebody could use that that type of relationship building to maybe improve their sales process? So I always said that there are two types of sales. Um, there's quick sales and there's long sales, mm-hmm. right? Quick sales is is the type of sales person that everybody hates. You know, the the door to door walk in, get you to buy something. The car salesman, and it works in certain industries. For example, cars. I mean, cars is a quick sales process, right? I'm not really like they say you're building a relationship on. Yeah, you're not. You need somebody to buy a car right then and there. They're not going to buy another car for another five years if you did your job right. You know what I mean? Like you don't care. Um, In long sales, though, it it is a it's a different process. With long sales, you want to be genuine. You want to build that relationship. You want to make sure you know they think about you. And and this could be something where you have a conversation and you don't get money for another year. You know what I mean? It's a long-term process, um, and that's getting more and more popular in both consumer and the the B two B world. Um, people are expecting more of that, I think, uh, and more people, more salespeople are turning into that. Um, but definitely in the B two B world, it's all about building that relationship. And you see, you know, terrible companies getting jobs left and right simply because they have the right salesperson that knows how to build a great relationship. Um, and I think that that's that's definitely something that people yeah, the the skill set of of the the Asian world in that regard is mm-hmm. way better than the skill set of the U.S. U.S. guys out here, um, knowing how to really spend time and really build a personal relationship mm-hmm. with your customers. Um, the downside to it is, you know, you do have to separate your business and your personal life somehow, um, and it right. gets that's impossible to do in Asia. Um, and you need it over here because it's it's weird if you don't, but you still need. I, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. there's a weird mix that you have to do. But no, I, I definitely think the skills that I've like I was always good at long term sales. Um, I'm better at it now that I've been over there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. No, that's funny. So tell me a little bit of what is trucor? I couldn't figure it out. Is that another form of parkour martial arts? <laughs> so it's a uh, 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 it, it's what you call a a somebody that does parkour a tresor okay. so it's okay. a french word oh okay. um, but yeah Interesting. that's he saw that on my linkedin profile of course <laughs> he's <laughs> snooping around yeah no no so uh that's one of my hobbies is uh yeah, i do parkour um i actually haven't done it since i've gotten to the states but uh i used to do a lot before that i did a lot of martial arts and mm-hmm. just kind of the same kind of people and Moving around. Plus, when you're sitting at a desk and and doing everything and and talking, it's nice to kind of get out there and you know, 
jump from building to a building and, <laughs> <laughs> and do crazy things. Right so. now, do you do you think that that risk taking um, lends to the whole attitude of being able to run a startup? Oh, for sure. Like, there's a lot of people who do parkour have. You know, it, it's almost got like a cult mindset of this, like you know, lifestyle and stuff like that. But the the one thing that I would I would definitely agree with is that there's there's big connections between taking actual physical risks and taking risks in your business. You know, when you're sitting there and you're trying to figure out whether you can do a jump, you know, you're looking at the distance and you're calculating in your head. You know that it's it's the same process as when you're looking to see if you can make a jump in your business, you know? Mm-hmm. And also the the same lessons can be learned. Like, you know, sometimes you look at a jump and you know you can't make it. So you have to go back and you got to train. You got to work at something else. You got to build up your foundations so that you can go off and finally make that huge leap. And again, in business, you know, sometimes you look at something and you're like, I know I want to do this. This is, this is a move in my business that is huge, but it'll be awesome if I can do it, Right. But I can't do it right now. If I do it right now, I'll fail. I need to go back and work on my basics. And like, yeah, you definitely have, like, I, I've talked to uh, um, I, one of our, our best employees that is actually sitting right here. Is I met him doing parkour. And him and I had these conversations all the right. time of, like, you know, we'll go out and train and we'll come back and we'll be talking about, like, business. We're like, it's just like that jump. You know, it's the same, same thought process. So, but it also, you know, you need to do that jump sometimes. And I think, I think on the flip side, there's a lot of founders that do have that mentality that they look at something they're like, I know I want to make that jump, but I need to work on my basics. But then they kind of do it too much mm-hmm. in the same way. It's like, you know, there's some people that do parkour and they know that they, they work on the basics way too much and they never actually go out and, and have a good time and, and jump. <laughs> you, have to, you have to be able to conquer that fear of like, you know, I, I could fall. My business could totally fail with this jump. This is a risk. Like this could be, this could destroy me, but I need to do it. And how do I get mentally, like just make that commitment and go. And also knowing that, you know, when you're midair, you make that decision to jump, you make that decision to do something crazy. You can't stop midair. You'll die. Like, that is what's going to screw you up. Once you've committed, you have to go 100% until you land. Otherwise, you're guaranteed to fail. So, Wow. That was interesting. Right? We, can get, we can get real deep into it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's interesting. I, I, I love parkour. We used to uh, run around and jump off stuff, but it, we never called it that. Right. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't done any of that in St. Louis. St. Louis has some interesting environments to... Uh, oh, there is. There is. It's just been a matter of, uh, you know, busy. Yeah. 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 It's 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 all time. So I'll get out there. I, I, have my, I have my shoes and everything, like, sitting at my door. Waiting for me to do it. It's just uh, just once I can settle down. All right. Are there special shoes that you use for this? Uh, yeah, they're they're different. They're like you know, just lighter running shoes, basically. But they have parkour shoes. Um, mm-hmm. I'm actually more of a. I like to. Uh, uh, I actually buy special rubber and, and convert other shoes into parkour shoes with like the right rubber and, and do all sorts of stuff on my own. But I'm kind of a do-it-yourself kind of guy. Yeah, that's interesting though. I. I uh, I was we were watching American Ninja Warrior last night, <laughs> and of course you know you have a lot of rock climbers and parkour guys, and it's like oh that's that's interesting, 
I was looking at your profile. I'm like, oh, look at that. That's that's interesting. <laughs> I bet there's some parallels to business and what you have to be prepared to do when you're doing a jump. They had a guy that was a, does a lot of YouTube videos where he'll jump off of a building. He jumped off a building and then jumped onto an A-frame and slid down that and then landed on some spiral steps. I saw that. That was crazy with, like, yeah. the train going in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that guy was nuts. That's was awesome. Like, wow, I kind of want to do that, but I know I'll die. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. Talk about talk about commitment midair too. <laughs> hey, hey, do not do not change your mind midair. No. You will die. No. <laughs> like, oh God, yeah, no. That that was a crazy video. I know exactly which one you're talking about. That is funny. So, what kind of stuff do you do outside of the startup world, the startup space? Well, I'm a father. Uh, so that takes up a lot of time. Uh, I have a one and a half year old. He's he's awesome. Um, outside of that, I I also work on cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's my especially after doing the vet clinic thing, like where you could put your hands on a dog and fix it. You know, yeah. Uh, everything else has been kind of imaginary. And so it, uh, when when I first got to DC, I actually bought a motorcycle. Um, that was like a piece of crap motorcycle. I literally just wanted to take an engine apart and put it back together again so I could put my hands on something and fix it. Yeah. And uh, that created kind of an obsession. And it's, it's a way to, to really kind of break away, especially when you're trying to really solve some problem in your business that takes you know, months to solve. You can go home and, and, and have a problem with your car mm-hmm. and, and turn it into something. So I then uh, I bought an old, I have a 1986 Porsche 944 Turbo that, that I nice. play around with right now. Pretty much all the insides are on the outside, and it's <laughs> it's just a it, it's a project that I work on way more than I drive. But it's uh, it, it, it's phenomenal to do that. So is that your dream car? Uh, it was actually my wife's dream car. Um, when we were in D.C., we were looking around. We had money for another toy car, and and you know I was done working on the bike, so I wanted something new. And uh, I was looking for a 300ZX, and my mm-hmm. wife was looking for a 944 because she it was the car from uh, 16 Candles. Yeah. Like, yeah. So um, we were basically like, whichever one we find that's a better car, we'll, uh, we'll do that. And so found the 944 in man- I, it's phenomenal exterior condition. And it, it was amazing. And so we, uh, we grabbed it, and I've quickly fallen massively in love with that car i mean it's it's so much fun to drive it's like i'm i'm glad that we got it over the the 300z mm-hmm. so um yeah no i love it so is that kind of stuff important for people to have like another outlet oh for sure sure i mean especially if, if you're a founder you you're a workaholic like there's there's no doubt about it like you're, you're going to be a workaholic and it's not good to be a workaholic like anything in life, like everything is better in moderation, you know, mm-hmm. and your business will suffer if you put every like if you put your entire life into your business. You know, everybody wants to say that that's good and all that kind of stuff, but you're you're not you're going to burn out. You know, you need to be able to, you know, run it like a marathon or you're in this for the long haul. You're, you're putting everything into it. Just just nobody actually succeeds doing that that way. Um, everybody had some sort of outlet, you know, whether it's family or, or some hobby or something else where you can kind of break away. Right. And that's also too, you know, if you're doing something that is new, you need to be creative. You know, you need to have that creative mindset uh, and, and you can't be creative if you're 100% in. It's yeah. just not- how do you deal with the guilt of pulling away? 
Because you know that's a thing. Um, I realized a long time ago that was that was before the startup thing. I realized a long time ago that if I um, actually scheduled myself breaks, like you know, one day off, I can't do anything. Um, schedule myself to leave and and all that, and force myself to to maintain a schedule instead of just diving in. I actually got more done in a week than I did before. So I would put in, you know, forty hours in a week instead of, you know. 60, 70, sometimes 80. Um, but I would get almost twice as much done. So learning that and just seeing the actual results and seeing, you know, especially when you're doing like sales and your results are, are money right away, mm-hmm. you know, you can actually track like, you know, I, I made twice as much money this week as I did the week before. Obviously there's something to it. Um, was easy. So I don't have guilt anymore because I know that the best thing for my business is for me to break away. So now I actually have guilt when I when I dive in and I'm I'm sitting at the office super late and I realize that I'm I am not tackling my problems smart, which it does a disservice to my partners and my employees. Interesting. No, that's a, that's a good way to look at it, and I don't think enough entrepreneurs look at it that way. You'll talk to people and they're, they're, all they do, any every waking moment is their business. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're in the office, it's that. When they're at home they've got the computer up and they're working on it and doing whatever else they're doing. And it's just a constant grind, you know, over and over and over again. So the, and you notice their business typically makes a jump after they take a vacation. Yes. Cause your brain needs time to, to chill. Like, and again, these are we're, the whole, the whole idea of a startup is that you're doing a business that nobody else has done before. There is no like set path, you know, like if I'm going to open a grocery store, I got, foundations you know what i mean like I, I i am following a template damn near you know like not, not little i'm like there's it's obviously still super difficult but but at least i have that template the startup part the difficulty of it is that no there is no template there is no other company that did what you're doing like at all like you are supposed to be differentiated so how do you sit down like you have to be creative and we all know from you know looking at creators and writers and everything like that that you can't be creative if you're if you're just thinking about the problem. You know, most of the time you have the reason why you're really focused on something and putting hours in is because you've got essentially Rogers block, and Rogers block is cured by stopping, going away, doing yeah. something. <laughs> amen, to, amen to that one. Right? Because <laughs> I've gone through that. It's like, oh crap! I, why can't I feel? Oh, this page is still blank. It's two hours right. later. I'm sitting there staring at it. Okay, go play some video games. Right, and you come back and. Yeah, you, know, you played a video game for an hour and you came back and you got to write, but the the alternative was to stare at that paper for three days. Like so <laughs> technically you playing the video game was better for your business. Right. I gotta I gotta make sure to communicate that more often. Hey, <laughs> just going to, I'm going to work on the business. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> How funny. That's awesome, man. Well, Nick, this has been this has been interesting. Uh, I think that uh we covered a lot of really different things as far as startups are concerned what's what's something that is like really really burning right now something that you've been wanting to talk about that you haven't really had a chance to just talk about is there anything that you're that you're interested in that you've been just wanting to get out there something burning um no no I mean, we, I think we pretty much covered, we covered a lot of things. Yeah. Like, covered the foundations, everything. So I don't think I have anything burning. So I'm going to tell you why I asked that question. 
I normally never ask that question. I asked that question once, and um, <laughs> the, the person I asked it to, she goes, oh, well, that was interesting. And then after she goes, never ask that question again. I'm like, well, why, why is that? She goes, well, it puts people on the spot. I'm like, well, what if I don't cover something? She's like, well, you do your research. You usually cover everything. And I didn't <laughs> like that question. I'm like, okay. And so I was talking to another podcaster this weekend, and they're like, you know, I've been, I've been wanting to ask this, the, the question because a couple interviews, I've missed stuff. And I'm like, oh, maybe I should, I'm going to revisit it. I'm gonna, and I'm going to revisit it with Nick, and I'm going to ask that question. And the I reason I'm fine asking that question. You know, the reason I'm telling it is that other podcasters, people say never ask the question, was there anything I didn't ask you? And I, I never ask that question, but I do always want to know if there's something that the person's really, really been thinking about that they want to get out. Usually I can pull it out because we will we'll touch on it just through, you know, talking, but I figured I'd share that with the audience and kind of share it with you and why I asked that kind of off the wall <laughs> question. <laughs> uh, I like it. It's, it's never perfect guys. It's always, you're always learning. Absolutely. Well, cool, man. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast and this has been, this has been great. Where can people find you online? Uh, go to get swizzle, G E T S W I Z Z L E.com. Uh, you can find us, you know, Twitter is uh, at Swizzle Global. Um, uh, yeah, that's normally our main method right. of communication. Or they can email me directly if you have questions, uh, nick at getswizzle.com. Uh, I, I love talking to people, so if I don't email right away, you know, give me a day. But uh, I'm normally pretty good about that. Cool. Are you guys on Snapchat at all? We're not. We're not. Is there a reason for you to be? Yeah, because we're B2B. Uh, so we don't. Oh, is there a reason for us to be? Yeah. No. No, not really. Yeah, if we're Snapchat's more of a B two C kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, of course, you know, everyone's pushing Snapchat. So everyone's pushing Snapchat, and it's great for B two C. Yeah, B two B though. It's you know, it, it, most businesses that have Snapchat, they're focusing on their consumers. Mm -hmm. They don't want to. They don't want another business trying to sell them on it. Right. So, right. No, very like, Are you on LinkedIn at all? Do you use LinkedIn a lot? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me if you look for Nick Zabo. Um, actually, our entire team's on LinkedIn, uh, which is actually kind of rare because in, in a lot of parts of Asia, LinkedIn is not a very popular. Yeah, uh, that's, why, that's why I asked. I was, I'm, one, I'm like, hmm, I wonder if you're really active on there or is it just a placeholder for you? Yeah, no, no, I'm active on LinkedIn. So um, that's, a, that's another great way to find me. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you just got to search for my name in Swizzle and you'll find it. Cool. That'll work because I'll just keep asking you questions. I <laughs> so, just want to know where the best place to find you. And um, I think we've got it all covered, man. I really do appreciate you coming onto the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Hey, what's up, guys? I told you that was going to be an amazing episode. You know, it's not all the time that I get a chance to get startup guys on, and, you know, it's pretty crazy. So, you know, if you look at the show notes, you'll see that I started off that if if I told you to go up to the top of a building, run across and jump to the next building, would you do it? And I really believe that Nick would. I mean, he is a, a parkour, a tracer runner. And I think that that type of thing translates really well to business because you know how to take risk and you cannot get growth without risk. And, you know, it's just really cool and refreshing to talk to a startup that's doing it, that's making progress. And it has a really cool product. I can't wait to really see what they do and what they get into. I mean, reading comments and reading the 
the pulse of the internet and being able to tell a company, this is what people think, this is the sentiment, this is how they really feel. And it's measuring it based directly off of those comments. It's pretty amazing technology, and I'm really looking forward to see what Swizzle does with it. So definitely check them out, getswizzle.com. Everything's going to be in the show notes, all the links, all the ways to find Nick, his company, and follow what they're doing. Nick is a pretty cool guy, and uh, I'm also involved with Nick on a thing called Ad Addicts. It's an invite-only group where we talk about advertising, marketing, social media, podcasting, just about anything you can think of. I actually just did a podcasting thing at our last Ad Addicts that went over really well, and I think a lot of good information got out there. So you can't check out Ad Addicts, but you can definitely check out Swizzle, Get Swizzle. Dot com. I really did enjoy talking to Nick. So at the beginning of the show, right before we started, three names, Podbean, Telestream, Warby Park. So as you guys know, I don't recommend products that I don't use. I've never had a sponsor on whose product I didn't either use outside of just the sponsorship or um, think was a really good product. So I'll start with Podbean. Podbean, of course, you guys know. Um, their hosting company. They help you start a podcast quickly. If you are looking to start a podcast and you want to test it out, just click on the link in the show notes. It goes out to Podbean or when you're out there, if you want to sign up, just enter the promo code VRPodbeanFree. You're going to get 30 days free on me to try out Podbean. And then it's only like, I believe like eight bucks a month to have virtually unlimited audio hosting for your podcast. Really great service. I haven't had any issues with them. Um, plus, as a podcaster, there is a way for you to help try to fund your show. They have a marketplace with sponsors that are just ready to sign up and want people to promote their products. It's great for small podcasters, but even if you have a large podcast, they're paying on a CPC model. So it's, you know, cost per thousand. If you've got a thousand downloads, you get a certain amount of money per thousand downloads. Not going to go into that. That's a whole nother episode or possibly even a course to talk about that. And there is a sponsorship course that I have out there. The link is going to be in the show notes. If you're interested in sponsorship, you should definitely check out that course. Also, Telestream, ScreenFlow, I do it for all my screen captures, all my screen capture videos, and I actually use it for a lot of video editing. Definitely check them out. There's also a link there in the show notes. And last but not least, Warby Parker, because I could not see how to edit this without my Warby Parker glasses. 95 bucks for a prescription scratch-resistant lens, very stylish frames. I get compliments all the time on my blue frames, especially on Bowtie Thursday. So I really love Warby Parker. And when I saw they had an affiliate program and I could recommend them, I jumped right on it. Um, I love these glasses. Plus, for every pair of glasses that you buy, someone else that needs a pair of glasses gets a pair of glasses. And that was originally why I signed up for Warby Parker and to actually get glasses from them. So I just want to wrap it up with that, guys. Really do appreciate you listening to the podcast. Email me, vernon at vernonross.com. Make sure you go out, rate, and review, and subscribe to the show. It's the only way that we get the show out to other people. So with that, guys, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here, and I will see you in the next episode. Hey.